It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. I am really excited about our guest today. But if you've never watched or listened to the Franchise Academy before, I want to let you know that I am a franchise consultant. I've been in the franchise industry for almost 20 years now, and I own a business that matches people with opportunities based on skills, personality, goals, kind of like the e-harmony of business is what I like to call it. Uh, although eHarmony doesn't like that too much, but <laughs> I found that out the hard way. So I help people figure out really if franchising is for them, and if it is, which is really the best franchise, and franchising is not for everyone. So we want to make sure that if you do take the dive in, make the investment, you get involved with the right franchise. One way you know if you're in the right franchise is if you have a good franchise agreement. Now, uh, sometimes they call it a franchise contract. So what I'm doing is bringing in one of the foremost experts in the country in franchise law, Nancy Lenard, who's going to give us the tips, what to look for, the pitfalls, everything that we need to know about a franchise agreement, the most important thing because you're signing it for five years or 10 years or whatever the agreement length is. So Nancy is great, and I've been working with Nancy for I don't know how many years now, mm-hmm. and I recommend, I recommend my, my clients, my candidates, to talk to Nancy before they sign a franchise agreement. The reason I like Nancy so much is, aside from her being brilliant in this area, she also charges a flat fee. So you, you know what you're getting involved with, so you don't get a check down the road for some crazy amount of money for an agreement review. So Nancy is highly regarded. She's very accomplished in a, as a franchise attorney. She has a focus on representing prospective franchisees, People that are about to buy a franchise need to talk to Nancy. She evaluates the franchise agreements, the franchise documents. She will help you set up an entity. Um, We're going to talk about that in a minute too. The the LLC or the Subcorp S or Subcorp C. She'll help with uh, negotiating leases, something that people don't think about right away. But you can negotiate a lease if you're in a business that requires one. So with no further ado, I want to bring in Nancy. Hey, Nancy, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Tom? Oh, I am so good. So happy to have you on the Franchise Academy. This Thank is really you. an honor. I'm glad that you're taking time out to do this. Thank so you. we were talking offline before we started. I, I want to start with kind of one of the important questions. A lot of people say to me, hey, you know, I'm buying this franchise, but do I really need a franchise attorney? I mean, my brother-in-law does immigration law. He went to law school. <laughs> so well, how do you feel about that? I get that question a lot, and um, it, you know it's a great question that you're throwing at me because it's everybody thinks that I, you know I have a brother, sister, daughter, mother who is a um, divorce lawyer, real estate lawyer, employment lawyer. Why can't they look at these documents? And the answer to that is very simple. This is a very specialized niche area of law, and similar to. needing an immigration attorney if you were looking to come to this country or a bankruptcy attorney if you needed to file bankruptcy. You wouldn't go to a generalist for that. And honestly, I can use the analogy that you wouldn't go, if you needed, you know, heaven forbid you needed heart surgery, would you go to your internist down the street 
No, you know, why would you do that, right? That's not their area of expertise. That's not what they know. And so this is just a really, where there's very few of us that practice this type of law. The majority, uh, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm an active member of the American Bar Association's franchise law section, and there's only a couple thousand attorneys that are members. And to compare that, the Los Angeles Trial Lawyers Association is 4,000 attorneys. Right. So we nationwide are half the size of the Los Angeles <laughs> City Trial Lawyers Association. So a small group of, of attorneys. And then within that group of attorneys, the majority actually represent franchisors. And of the franchisee attorneys like myself, majority of those go to court and litigate. They, they're the kind that you would use if you wanted to sue someone. And I don't do that. I represent people who are looking to invest in the opportunity and help them get situated, set up, and evaluate all of the documents. So there's really very, very few attorneys out there. I'm very few that that's all I we do. My firm is six attorneys, and all we do is look at the franchise documents, set up the entity, help with the lease if if it's brick and mortar. And if it's an acquire, you know, acquiring an existing location for a franchise, we'll do that or sale of one. So it's a very, very niche area of law. And we know what's typical and what's not typical. And I think that's really important as well, that a general business attorney, employment attorney or other isn't going to understand and be able Absolutely. to advise someone on what is typical in this document and what isn't typical. Absolutely. It, it's so important what you do. And I'm so, again, grateful to have you on the show to explain to people, you know, the importance of getting a, a legal review on something where they're investing what could be kind of their life savings in a lot of instances. So I really appreciate that. What, what's the most common question that you get, though, aside from that? Should I use you? Well, I wanted to just jump back, Tom, for a second and point out, because as you were saying that, it brought to mind also that I wanted to mention, I've represented a lot of attorneys over the years who were buying, yeah, believe it or not, who are buying a franchise for, sometimes for themselves, they've decided they don't want to continue to practice law, but often for a spouse or a child or a nephew or niece. And, you know, and they understand that these are documents that they're not familiar with and that are unique. And that they, even though they have a law degree, that this isn't something that they should be handling and representing themselves. Yeah, great testimony. And I had somebody who bought a franchise, did not use you, I recommended you, did not use you. He used a friend. He's like, oh, I got a guy. Don't worry about it. You know, it's like <laughs> that. And, and so he used another attorney and, you know, he ended up getting in trouble because the agreement said that he, he needed to check his own uh, state and local county laws for the type of business he was getting into to make sure that you could do it. And there's, there was a moratorium. You weren't allowed to do that business in the county he was trying to do it in. And mm -hmm. I had to beg the franchisor to give him the money back. Although he didn't have to. Yeah. Because it says in the document. But his attorney didn't catch that little thing and say, Hey, Jimbo, make sure you go check, you know, your state law before you sign this agreement. Well, it's interesting because just yesterday, I, uh, two days ago, not yesterday, yesterday was the holiday, but two days ago, I spoke with someone who was looking at a, it's in the waste disposal type of field, but not exactly. And uh, this person's in South Florida and South Florida, if you're familiar with waste 
company's waste management's headquartered in South Florida, and they pretty much have this whole area in South Florida locked up as well as other areas of the country. And so I said to him, you know, before you even take another step, and this was just during our free initial consultation, before you take another step forward, I think you ought to call the local municipalities where your territory is going to be and just make sure that you can get permits or licenses or whatever is necessary for this business before you even spend a penny on the legal review because it, it's very possible that waste management has that locked up and that even though this isn't competitive with them, that they may deem it to be so. Huh. So, yeah, it, good advice. There you go. So what's the most common question that you get asked by somebody looking to buy a franchise? Um, how do I get out of it? Oh, really? Yeah. Interestingly enough, that's probably the most common question. I'm concerned about how I extricate myself. How do I exit from this if need be? What if it doesn't succeed? Or what if something happens and I need to get out? How do I do that? And it, it's a tough question because in most cases franchise agreements are not written where the franchisee has any rights to terminate. I have seen that but it's very unusual. So my answer to them is that if you can the first step is to is to try to sell the business. That's always the best and especially if it's brick and mortar and there's a lease involved because not only will you have most likely a personal guarantee on the franchise obligations, but you are definitely going to have a personal guarantee on the lease. It would be the very, very unusual, rare commercial lease today that didn't have a personal guarantee. So to get out from under that, selling the business is your best bet. So that that's the first thing. If the business is making money, then usually you're able to do that. But when you have somebody that comes in and the business is bleeding them every month and they aren't making any money, then how do you get out from under that? The, the answer to that is to try to work something out with all the parties. So again, if it's not brick and mortar, that would just be the franchisor and try to reach some sort of settlement. And the same thing if, with the landlord if there is a lease involved. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a little bit, you know, that is kind of the scary side. Yeah. You got to know how to get out, but you also have to get into it knowing that, you know, you're going to build it and make a lot of money and hopefully sell it for a lot of money too. Well, and the reality is, the, rea the reality is that if you've really validated or done your due diligence, as I would say, this franchise opportunity in the proper way that I would advise if you called me initially, as I said, even before, before I've charged a cent to anybody <laughs> on our free consultation, I give three mechanisms mechanisms for validating a franchise independent of our services. And I'm sure a lot of those things are the types of things, Tom, that you tell your candidates as well. But, you know, talk to other franchisees in the system. That's really, they're in the trenches doing this. They're your best resource and use the list that's in the FDD. And in the FDD, if you scroll down, and the FDD is the franchise disclosure document, if you scroll down in the table of contents below the 23 items that are federally required items, there are exhibits, and one of them is a list of every franchisee in the system and any that have left with their contact information. And you can call any of them your, that you want. You don't need the franchisor's permission to do so. And it's very important that you call and ask a lot of questions around the country and make sure that you're hearing consistent things from people that and it's a great way to validate this is so spot on and this is exactly what i recommend i'm sure and, you know. and it's so interesting to me so first of all i want to say that if you're looking for a franchise i have a sheet of 39 questions 
to ask those franchisees to be effective and efficient on those phone calls because they're doing it free of charge. They get nothing out of it. By the way, they're not allowed to be compensated in, in any way for doing these calls. So they're telling you the truth. It's the only place you could get the good, the bad, and the ugly about a franchise. Uh, I feel strongly that you should call as many as you can. Yeah. I really love the fact that I think, in, in my opinion, I don't know if this is true, but I think in a franchise, it's the only investment that you could make where you can actually talk to the end user and, and say, like, how's it really going? What's really going on? How are you being treated? And I think that's really an important point, Tom. I mean, that's what the FDD is all about. That franchise disclosure document has such amazing information in it. If somebody can take the time, it's overwhelming when you get this two or 300-page document. You look at it, and you're not an attorney, and you think, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to go through this, and why would I go through this? But the reality is it has everything you need really in there to make an important and valid decision on this. And if it's a mature system, in particular, it's going to have all the franchisees. It's going to have all of the former franchisees in the system. It's going to have all of those things that you can, and their contact information, you can call them. And I, like you, when I'm first introduced to a potential client who's looking to invest in a franchise, I send a link, uh, a bunch of links, but one of them is to my top 10 favorite questions to ask existing franchisees. And it's a blog post that I did a while ago. and. You know, so I'm sure we overlap on some of those kinds of questions, but it's really important to, to have that conversation. And I also recommend they read the 23 items. They're required to be, by federal law, they're required to be written in plain English. Of course, that's a, what is plain English? But, <laughs> but they're supposed to be written so that people can understand them and it's not legalese. And in particular, it's important to read the footnotes even to items five, six, and seven, which are the financial disclosures. And then the third thing that a lot of people don't think of to do that independent of the legal review is to definitely have those audited financial statements of the franchisor evaluated, either if you have the background yourself or have an accountant, because it's really important that you're not investing in a franchise that is underfunded. I can tell you from my own personal experience um, uh, that I was in-house counsel to Nutrisystem 25 years ago, and I can talk about them because that Nutrisystem doesn't exist anymore. Um, the Nutrisystem that I was in-house counsel to 25 years ago was um, number one weight loss company in the United States. It had been around for 20 years. They had 1,300 franchise locations and 500 corporate. They were huge, bigger than Jenny Craig, bigger than Weight Watchers. And anybody, and they validated, well, that's the problem. Some of the franchisees made millions. And so they validated wonderfully when people made phone calls to the franchisees. But anybody looking at their financials could have seen that they were financially weak. They went into bankruptcy and within two to three years of the bankruptcy, they were, all the franchisees were gone and out of business. And by the way, when they went into bankruptcy 25 years ago is when I started my law firm focused on franchising. So yeah, it's very important to do that third step, have those financials looked at. And I'm amazed when I see these startup franchises with $5,000 in the bank account and they're expecting you to spend $300,000 out of your pocket. Um, the item seven disclosure says the range and it's you know, showing $300,000 and then you know, $50,000 franchise fee. Well, how can you do that 
And how can they expect you to do that when they've only put $5,000 or $10,000 in their own bank account? What does that tell you? Yeah, that's great. And, and just another question related to that, but as an aside, in the um, exhibits after the 23 items, it, they can put in a list of current franchise owners. Is it mandatory to do that? So you mean in the exhibits? Yes, they have to. They have to put all of them as of the date of the FDD. So okay. FDDs have to be updated annually within 120 days of the fiscal year end. Most are on a calendar year, meaning December 31st. And so 120 days is April 30th. And so you'll see that most FDDs will be dated sometime late March or in April because of that 120-day rule. Right. Absolutely. The dark period when they're not allowed to sell franchises. Well, if they, right, they can go dark. If they go beyond that April 30th, um, they can then become, uh, have a period of time where they can't sell. Yep. And, and so the franchise disclosure document really is your best friend. It makes the company totally transparent. I mean, you could literally talk to people who left the system for either good reasons or bad reasons uh, up, you know, up to two years they have to be by law listed in the document. Isn't that right? Yeah. The tricky thing about that is that they're harder to get a hold of because the contact information is the last business contact information for those that have left the system. And if it's a brick and mortar business, that isn't going to be a current number for the franchisees. So that okay. they're a little harder to get a hold of. Yeah. They're a great resource, but you can, I always tell a client if they're calling former franchisees, you need to call a bunch because they could have left for family reasons. They could have left and, and or they could have left for very bitter reasons and speak very negatively. And it, you have to take it, everything in and really understand where they're coming from and really yeah. kind of pursue what their rationale was for leaving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great stuff. So this, this is really good. Before I forget, so some people need to drop off listening to the podcast because they got to work and so they need to shut off their car. What's a good way to get in touch with you? Website, that kind of stuff. Sure. So the firm is Lenard and Associates. That's all A's in my name, Lenard and Associates. And I'm Nancy Lenard. And you can reach me by phone at 215 215- 392-0030, extension 101. That's me personally. That will get directly to me. My email is my first initial, last name. So N Lenard, N-L-A-N-A-R-D, at lenardandassociates.com, all spelled out. And that's L-A-N-A-R-D-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-S.com. And so we will put all of that information on the franchiseacademy.com. Uh, all of Nancy's information will be there, but we're not done yet. We're going to keep on going here. Got a bunch of good questions. So what is your educational background? How did you get started in franchising? Why go this direction instead of matrimony law or whatever? Right. And that's interesting that you bring up matrimonial law because at one time I thought that's what I was going to do. I really ah. thought that was a great way to work and help women. And so I kind of did focus at one point on that right, very, very, very early in my career. And, uh, but that didn't work out well for me. It wasn't the right direction. So I, I went to the University of Pennsylvania undergrad. I graduated in three years and got my master's in my fourth year and uh, thought I was going to teach school. I was a Spanish major in college and I thought I was going to teach. 
I decided that wasn't the right direction for me either. You know, when you're young and you're in your 20s, you're trying to figure it all out. And I thought, you know, let me go to law school. It opens up a lot of doors and a lot of avenues of things. I can choose what I want to do from there. So I went to Villanova University School of Law, and I loved it. Most people don't, but I did. <laughs> and I, uh, I don't know why. I just loved being a student, I think, at that point. And uh, I was on the law review in top 10% of my class in, at Villanova. So that opened up a lot of doors, and I thought I wanted to do family law. And I got a job with, for, during law school working for the number one divorce lawyer in Philadelphia at the time. And it was not a good situation. I won't even mention who it was. Man is deceased at this point anyway, but let's put it this way, that he was having affairs with his clients. And that was not, did not feel good to me as a good thing. So I uh, started thinking of other options and I decided to go into business and in-house counsel to various businesses. I worked for a three and a half billion dollar conglomerate for a while and that was fun. And then I worked for another company that was related and ended up with Nutrisystem in-house. I never had really worked for a law firm until I started my own, which is kind of oh, interesting. Wow. So yeah, I had I had a uh, an interesting kind of avenue that I took to get there. Um, and Nutrisystem, because it was the franchise company, gave me that franchise background and I thought it was a wonderful niche that was underserved. And I loved the area of law. That's kind of how I got started with it. That's so awesome. I love it. Good story. <laughs> and it's just amazing the kind of paths that we weave to get to where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And now Lenard and Associates is, what do you say, 25 years old? Yeah. Well, in one iteration of the firm or another, not in its current ver version or current form. But yes, I've had yeah. my own practice for 25 years. Wow. That's yeah. great. So, um, so obviously you did graduate early because you uh, are way too young to have a firm that's <laughs> 25 years old. Thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> that's just amazing. Yeah, we, we're six attorneys. So I have five attorneys that work for me. We're, we are an all-female law firm, by the way. I love it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's yeah. notable. I love that, Nancy. Thank you thank for you. mentioning that. Yeah, thanks. Very cool. Aside from franchise document review and also lease review, are there any other services that Lenard and Associates provides? So we pretty much can do anything for a franchisee. So we will help evaluate the franchise documents and then we will set up their entity for them if they're not using a ROBS plan, a rollover of their retirement funds. And if it's brick and mortar, we'll help with the lease. And I'd love to talk to you about that for a second, but we also can handle um, acquisitions and sales of existing franchise locations and businesses. So, oh, good. Yeah. yeah so Tell me more about lease contracts and stuff like that. So I think people underestimate actually how important a lease is to a retail franchise or retail business. The document, I can't believe how many people actually just sign the lease that's given to them by the landlord. They negotiate maybe some of the business terms with the realtor up front, think that's all they need, and then they go ahead and sign the lease when the, when the landlord presents it. Number one, let me tell you how many times that letter of intent that's been negotiated with the business terms with the realtor back and forth isn't even reflected in the lease. That for some reason, you've worked so hard and spent all that time with negotiating business terms and then they're not even in the lease. But even if they all are, they are the business terms. A lease, a, a letter of intent is a three to five page document and the lease is a 30 to 80 page document typically. 
So that's everything else. We add clauses for Americans with Disability Act representation and warranty from the landlord and hazardous substances rep and warranty from the landlord. We soften the remedies that the landlord has if you're in default. We want to give you plenty of notice and opportunity to cure a default. Very importantly and, and very critical to any franchise system, besides making sure that the franchisor's requirements are in the in the lease, because most franchisors of brick and mortar franchises have requirements to be in their lease. In addition to that, what happens when you go to, down the road to sell the business? You want to assign that lease that has value. It's a valuable asset of the business. You want to be able to freely assign it without too many conditions or costs to another franchisee in the system. And even more importantly, you want to be released from any personal guarantee. And after the recession that we were in in 2008, 9, and 10, landlords don't want to release you from that personal guarantee. So, so that's very important too. And I, I think that people who just sign a lease without thinking about it, a 10-year lease can be on the hook for a lot of money, a lot of heartache down the road. Yeah, amen to that for you sure. You flat fee as well. So, I mean, we try to do everything on the franchisee side for a flat fee. That's um, great. Yeah. I appreciate that too. And that's why I recommend you to all of my candidates. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, Thank you. and I think, you know, on a personal note, you know, I had a store for a franchise and after we opened our doors, the fire marshal showed up at the store and, and said, hey, I didn't see you file any permits. And I said, well, we don't have any stoves or anything, so we don't need permits. And he said, yes, you do. Yeah. And it turns out that there was no fire system in the entire strip mall. And no. the way the lease read is that I was responsible for outfitting the entire oh, no. strip mall. Oh, my gosh. And I had to do that. And that was the first nail in the coffin of that franchise that failed that I had uh, super suppers. I can imagine. Um, it just, it cost, I forget what it was, $8,000 or something. And it was but just. You didn't have, budget for, of course. It wasn't in, you had no idea. I had no clue. No clue whatsoever. And, and the franchise company was, they were novice franchise company. They, they were actually a culinary school, not a franchise company. But I didn't know, you know. We had, a, we had a situation, I represented somebody, it wasn't a franchise, this was years ago, locally in the Philly area, and uh, they were going to open up a location for their business and needed to put in additional toilets and bathrooms in to accommodate the business. It was going to be one of these shared office spaces, that's what they were planning on doing. Okay. And when we had in the lease negotiated a permit contingency uh, clause that said that if they couldn't get permits in a timely fashion, and it said 30 days or 60 days or whatever, or if the cost was too high, and again, it gave a dollar amount, that they could terminate the lease. And it was a great thing that we did because in your situation, you would have been able to get out of it, number one. In this situation, there was a moratorium on toilets because of the water usage. So there was no, they, this, this township would not permit any additional toilets to be installed in the entire township until that moratorium was lifted and it wasn't lifted for two or three years. So he term they terminated the lease. They were able to get out from under it. So yeah, lease reviews and negotiations are really important and not to be ignored and not to be handled, you know, if your franchisor handles it or your realtor negotiates the business terms, not sufficient. So you know what, Nancy, I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking that we should do another episode. I'm not kidding. We should do another episode just on the war stories learned 
from franchise agreements and lease agreements. Absolutely. Happy to do that. <laughs> it, could, it would be the most interesting podcast ever, I think, in business anyway. So, so we'll do that. So what is one myth about franchising that you would like to bust right here and right now? Um, that it's all cookie cutter, that everything's the same, that you don't need an attorney because they're not negotiable documents. They're written in stone. So why do I need an attorney? That's probably the biggest. Why do I need an attorney? They're written in stone. Documents written in stone. I don't need an attorney. I'll just sign it. That's right. probably the biggest myth because, first of all, they aren't necessarily written in stone. And I have a story to tell, a war story to tell on that one too. So years ago, years ago, when we still had phone books, I, <laughs> I was representing a um, person who was looking to invest in a uh, franchise. And the name was very descriptive. The brand was very descriptive of what this company did. And the company had 500 franchisees at the time. So this was not a startup. This wasn't an emerging brand. It was an established brand. And when we checked the state's that this territory was going to be in records for corporate and LLC name. We checked to see if the, that name, that brand is being used by a corporation or a limited liability company. That's not part of the franchise system. That's an independent business. Oh. And we told the client at the time, check in your yellow pages and see if there's anything that comes up that there's a franchise that not part of the franchise system, not a franchisee, an independent business. And the reason is that in the U S Trademark law is actually based on use as a first priority of a registration. And what that means is that if you have a brand, you know, that's a name of something, but somebody else used that name, that same exact name for the same kind of product or sales um, first in their marketing area, that, that other company has priority rights to the name. Even though you've registered your trademark, you have priority rights nationwide. But if there is a business that an independent business separate from you that is using that same name and used it before you registered that mark, they have priority rights to that name in their marketing area. And obviously, if you're a franchisee and that's your territory where that marketing area is, they're going to sue you for trademark infringement. And that's tens of thousands of dollars out of your pocket, potentially. Well, we had this franchise. They had 500 franchisees. They said their document was written in stone. They don't negotiate a single letter of it. Take it or leave it. We found that by checking state records, and he found locally that there was a company calling itself by the same exact name and doing the exact same thing, selling the exact same product. Not only that, the franchisor actually knew about it. They knew of this guy because they had done a nationwide trademark search. So they knew about it. And so lo and behold, we went back to the franchisor and we said, by the way, there's this independent guy and, you know, in our client's proposed territory. And then we're going to let him sign the agreement and open up there knowing that they don't indemnify and hold harmless for trademark infringement actions. And he was going to be exposed. But they were agreeable to an addendum. So they technically didn't change their document. They, amend they added to it, right, that covered that situation that allowed him to go forward and they would indemnify and defend and hold him harmless in that situation. Yep. And that's, and that's great and great advice. And I share that with people for the most part, the franchise agreement is not going to be changed, but there could be an addendum and the addendum could be an explanation of a question that's right. in the document. Exactly. Uh, Cause sometimes there's, like a, 
yeah, it, sometimes it's just a loosely worded kind of, you know, with no definitive anything in the sentence. Just like, if this happens, you're responsible for that. But it doesn't say up to this cap amount or whatever. And sometimes you want to fix that, you know, and, and it's done in, in an addendum and not by right. changing the agreement. Right. So that's awesome, Nancy. As I said, we could go on here for, for hours and hours with these kind of stories. But I want to maybe come back and do this again with some war stories. Do this in 2020. I think it will be a great thing. So if sure. you can, let us know again, how can we get in touch with you? So again, it's Nancy Lennard, and my phone number is 215-392-0030, and I'm extension 101. Call me directly. And my email is N as in Nancy, and my last name, Lennard, so N-L-A-N-A-R-D at lennardandassociates.com. And that's all spelled out, including and. And associates is plural. And the website is lenardandassociates.com. Oh, awesome. One quick question that I meant to ask and I forgot, and it's important, at least for my clients. A lot of people say to me, I want somebody who's local in my state because they'll know the law. Great question. So as a franchisee attorney, I first of all, franchise law is federal. As I've kind of mentioned a couple of times, that franchise disclosure document is a federally required document. There are certain states in this country that require that that document be filed with the state or registered with them before any franchisor can sell in the state. But all of my attorneys and myself, we all are very, very familiar with the state laws this is all we do day in and day out is franchise work. So we certainly are very familiar with that. We handle that nationwide. We handle leases nationwide because, again, we feel understanding your franchise and the franchisor's requirements is a very key component to understanding what's needed in the lease as well. <laughs> in addition to that, of my attorneys, I have a California licensed attorney, which probably is the most unique laws in the country anyway. Yes. I have a New York licensed attorney. I have, a new, I have two New Jersey licensed attorney and I have an attorney who, and a Georgia licensed attorney. And I have an attorney who just took the Florida bar exam and will, and passed everything. And she's just waiting to be inducted into the Florida bar. So we, and all, all of us are Pennsylvania licensed, of course, as well. So we are able to work with anyone all over the country and would love that opportunity in evaluating your franchise documents and helping with the, set up the entity and helping with the lease as well. Absolutely. That is so great. Thank you so much for that. It's so great that you can work just anywhere, anytime, any place. And because I work with people all over the country and it's just great to have a resource like you, Nancy. So I appreciate it. Appreciate your time for being on the Franchise Academy podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for the opportunity to speak. And, and it's been a pleasure, Tom. And it went so quickly. <laughs> it, it really did. And we need more time, like I said. So definitely look out for those listening. We will do another podcast about the uh, franchise attorney war stories and lessons learned over 25 years in practice with Nancy Lennart. Absolutely. We'd love it. That sounds Thank great. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Oh, yes. Happy New Year 2020. 2020 vision for the future. We're rocking and rolling and franchising. Let's hope. I think it's going to be a great year. I think it's going to be a great decade. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds All good. Right, Thanks so much. Be well. Thank you, Tom. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. 
Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration. 